Great reminder, great thought, no matter what, God is overall, amen, and we can trust Him. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll start there. I told you that I'm going to be starting a series of messages regarding prophecies of tomorrow explaining what we see today. And this is going to be an introductory message to that series. There are several things that we're going to be, topics that we're going to be covering, all very relevant, all very uh, uh, happening currently. And so the idea is to consider again where we're at in the world. What does it mean for us and what should it compel us or motivate us to do or how should we be living? And that's really the thrust behind all of this. I don't think it's uh, good for us to always put our head in the sand and not be aware. At the same time, we should not be overcome with uh, or distracted by uh, to the point of uh, the wrong focus uh, on the, the current events of the world. It should, it should have a spiritual effect on us. It should cause us to look with spiritual eyes. How should God's people be responding? How should God's people be living? And so that's the idea behind this series. And again, this is going to be an introductory type message. I don't plan to keep you very long this afternoon. Uh, after the, the message, we're going to have a time of prayer as a church to pray over our outreach into the villages. And uh, as we have done before, all the packets that we did yesterday. By the way, thank you for yesterday, those of you who came. It's a good day. We got a lot done. I always enjoy it, uh, just serving, talking, fellowshipping, uh, serving the Lord together uh, with a common purpose and a common goal. Um, it's always encouraging to my soul and to see how many of you participate uh, and be a part of that is, is a blessing to me. So thank you for that. But we're going to spend some time praying over that today. And all of our packets are going to be up front here. And I'm going to have you come up to the front and like we did before and just spend some time praying together that God would take His Word and that it would find lodging in people's hearts, that the Lord would open doors to us, amen, that nobody can close as we seek the Lord to do His will and His work. So we're going to do that after the preaching this afternoon, okay? Then there's going to be some practicing, choir practice and children's practice and all that, I believe, for the Christmas program. So we've got some things going on this afternoon. But I want you to start with me in 2 Timothy 3. In verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That's a verse that we read uh, typically, and maybe you're not this way, but I have found myself, at least in the past, to sort of think this way, even though maybe um, I don't intend, intend to do it, it just sort of happens. It's a verse that we read that we sort of look at as something way out in the future, okay? In the last days, perilous times shall come. Oh, we know that. But that's not going to happen in my life time. That's kind of how we approach verses like that. We believe it's to be true, but not necessarily the reality of where we live. Does that make sense? You follow what I'm saying? Uh, we, we're sort of insulated in America, and we have a, a, a wonderful life that we live. And so, yeah, I believe that to be true. Um, but I just don't necessarily feel like I'm going to live through that or living in it. 
Well, it's interesting when you look at the words, the last days, perilous times shall come. Of course, this was written 2,000 years ago. But that shall come may actually be now. And the word perilous, it means troublesome. It means dangerous. In the last days, troublesome, dangerous times, difficult times will come. The next verse says, for men, here's why, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, and then some even having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. The last days, difficult and dangerous and troublesome times are going to come. Why? Because then he gives a description of what people are going to be like. Now, again, we read a verse like that and we think that possibly that's in the days to come. We believe it to be true, but not necessarily living in the reality that that could be starting or is now. But you know what, if you take a look at the news, even for a little bit, it seems as though anytime you pay attention or you look at it, every story becomes more distressing than the one before it. For example, in the last year and a half, in America, we've watched some pretty crazy things happening. For example, we've watched cities burning to the ground, basically. And we've watched people standing in the streets chanting those very phrases uh, to, to, to burn it all to the ground. That's their intent. You know, uh, groups like BLM and Antifa, they are lauded as heroes by the media because they're out there quote, protesting inequality, etc., etc., when in reality, they're nothing more than rioters and looters who are bent on destruction. That's what we've been watching. And, and you know what? Even if, listen, even if there were, so, you might have some sympathy for some people because they might feel like they have a legitimate cause. There might be some in that crowd who actually feel like they have some sort of a legitimate cause. But you know what? Uh, they are aligning themselves with anti-God, Marxist, fascist organizations uh, who, who, uh, uh, who are bent on destruction. I mean, if you don't believe that, go look up on, even on their own websites the, the organization's beliefs. They're aligning themselves with those kinds of anti-God, Marxist, fascist groups. And then, in the midst of all of that, You've got thugs, and you've got criminals who, who, who are going to join in because they get a chance to riot and loot and cause destruction. And so even if there was some who had a legitimate 
cause that they felt like they were standing for, the thugs that burn and destroy completely overshadow anything that they might stand for. And the sad part is this. They've all been duped. And they're all being used by a different set of people, by those who are pushing an agenda that is aimed at dividing the culture in order to control it and to destroy it. That's what's really going on. Notice some of the words of even verse 3, for example. Verse 3 gives... It's all part of the mix here of describing what people will be like. Verse 2, the very first thing says that men shall be lovers of their own selves. I don't think we would ever even debate over the fact that right now in America and even across the world, the main, I mean, people are so, so haughty and high-minded and self-centered. It's self-serving, 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 straight across the board. That's how people are. But just, we don't have the time to look at all of these, but let's just look at a couple in, in verse 3. The first one is without natural affection. Why will dangerous and troublesome and difficult times come into in the last days? Because people are going to have no natural affection. Without natural affection. Listen, what does that even mean without natural affection? Well, right now in America, there is a culture of abortion. There is a culture of death. There is a culture of dismemberment. What could be more natural than a mother's love for her own baby? And yet they're sacrificed on the altar in our country. It is a culture of death. That's not civilized. Look at the next one. Hey, we could talk about we could talk about the homosexual movement. Listen, it used to be uh, it used to be that that was um, homosexuality was kind of like the thing that the media and Hollywood was really promoting. They're the minority groups and they're the underserved and underprivileged. They're the ones who are, you know, who are uh, 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 people are prejudiced against and all of that. But you know, once that becomes normalized in the culture, then they move on to the next thing. And from the homosexual movement, it's gone into, what, transgenderism and, and so on. And that's the big thing right now is to, and they keep adding letters of the alphabet to the LGBTQ, XYZ, whatever movements. And they're just going to keep on doing it. What is, what is natural? That God created a man and God created a woman He created them male and female. God established a home uh, and a family in God's order. What is natural is for a man to love a woman and a woman to love a man and a family to happen. That is what is natural. Not in this culture, though, because we're without natural affection. Verse 3 says they're without natural affection. Truce breakers. The next one is False accusers. Well, we could park on that one for just a little bit. False accusers. That means slanderers. Man, we are a culture full of slanderers. Everybody, listen, everybody's a racist if you don't agree uh, with, with the, the uh, direction that, the, that 
that our culture is going or that the media goes or that the left says. I love sometimes when you get these funny reels and so on. That are, there's one that's going out there about vaccines and so on. And, and the guy's making a mock of it. It's funny because the, the arguments that they use... Uh, you know, for why you should get one and, or, or, or why this is this and why that is that. And, and, and sometimes their arguments are, are contradictory to things that they said before and they're just kind of all over the place. And this guy's making a mock of it like, well, you know, you, sh- you should get one because, because uh, I'm safe, but if you don't have it, then you're not safe, but, but then you put me in danger, but, but wait a second, I'm supposed to be safe. And then he's like, I, he's all tongue-tied about his definitions, and then at the end of it, he's like, well, you're just a racist. As if that had anything to do with getting a vaccine. That label is thrown out so much. You're, you're a racist if you don't agree with the agenda. That's basically what it comes down to. The white supremacist label. That's been f- forefront. That's been front and center lately with the Kyle Rittenhouse case. President Biden has likened Kyle Rittenhouse to a white supremacist. I was just watching this uh, t- yesterday, back when former President Trump was debating against uh, soon-to-be President Biden, in those debates, the moderator, who was a Fox News uh, analyst, by the way, was just berating President Trump because he, he wouldn't denounce, to their satisfaction, white supremacist groups. And in that debate, the moderator said, will, will you denounce and will you call out you know, groups like the Proud Boys and, and so on who are, who are white supremacists and will you tell them uh, that they're causing trouble and they should stand down? And President Trump was like, yes, absolutely. You know, white boys, stand down, stand by whatever he says. Well, in the very next frame, they run an ad that President Biden was putting out on national uh, news and, and, and national advertising for his presidency. And, and they're talking about Kenosha. They're talking about the, the, the protests in Kenosha. And here's Kyle Rittenhouse's face right on the front of that ad that Biden was running, uh, uh, claiming him or likening him to white supremacist groups. Well, as the facts start to come out and as things start to unfold, there's no chance that Kyle Rittenhouse is actually a white supremacist. Not a chance. But he's being slandered as that because it fits the narrative. It fits the agenda. Okay? We're a country and a nation and a culture of slanderers, false accusers. Look at the next one. Incontinent. That word literally means no self-control. Why will dangerous and, and, and difficult and troublesome times come in the last days? Because people will literally have no control, self-control. Why do you see rioting, looting, robbing? Listen, over anything, any little thing becomes a, an opportunity to riot. But we're protesting. Right? The next one. Fierce. Why will 
dangerous times come because people will be fierce. You know what that means? It means savage. People rioting, looting, burning, even killing. Acting like savages. Like even just yesterday in Portland, again, Portland's there in the news, they're rioting in the streets over the verdict of the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And on the news, the, the news clip that I saw, there was a mob of people who were screaming and shouting, and there was this group of police officers. There probably was maybe 15 to 20 police officers in this group. They were all in formation. They were all decked out in riot gear. They had their, their, their weapons, their firearms, and everything. And here's this group of police officers, officers, maybe four wide and four deep, who were all backing up together in formation, and this mob of people was backing them into a garage, shouting and screaming and hollering and like pushing at them. And they're, they're basically... Uh, completely helpless to actually enforce any law. They're basically in a position where they're just going to have to defend themselves. But the moment that they reach out to defend themselves, guess what's going to happen? So all they can do is back into a garage and close the doors for protection. Mob rule. Acting like savages. No self-control slanderers, no natural affection. And the last one, even in verse 3, despisers of those that are good. This phrase literally means hostile to anything virtuous. This is why dangerous and difficult days are ahead. Because there's hostility towards anything that is virtuous. And woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Woe is pronounced by God. The wicked will be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. What else have we seen? We've seen in the last year and a half backbiting politicians, heated if not fraudulent elections. We've seen runaway elections in the last year and a half. We've seen social upheaval, we've seen political correctness like on steroids, racial tensions through the roof. Listen, all of this is happening and what's risen from the newfound foundation of political correctness is something called cancel culture. Cancel culture is essentially this. When people who've said or done problematic things either now or in the past, even a hundred years ago, are decidedly canceled and people no longer support them or their endeavors and they want to remove them as if they never even existed. Cancel culture. We're going to talk about that in depth in one of the messages in this series. But this is why in the last days, difficult, dangerous, troublesome times shall come. And again, we look at that, we think about that as something that may be happening in the future. But friend, we need to live in the reality that that could be right now. That description fits even in our country 
of what people are like? What about the defunding of police in the last year and a half? Because of a despising of authority? People don't want God to rule over them, that's for sure. But the defunding of the police has directly led to an escalation in crime. I was just looking at some stats last night, yesterday in fact, and I think what, what we see is whenever a culture like this and a movement like this has, has starting to gain traction and gain momentum, what does it do to those who are lawless? It actually emboldens them to commit more lawlessness. I think that's why you see a mob of people who are so brazen and so bold that they are going to back the police down and they'll do, they'll do whatever they're uh, capable of doing if they have the chance. They're emboldened. And the defunding of the police leads to escalating of crime. And, and normal people, regular people, who have any kind of common sense, are well aware of what the outcome of that will be. Listen, the only reason we ever even have a free society is because we're a, a country of laws and order. You can't have an organization and you can't have freedom in, in, in a country of chaos and lawlessness. I was just looking up some crime stats. Minneapolis-St. Paul seems to be one of, the, one of the main leaders in the defunding of police movement. Okay? It's happening all over the country. But Minneapolis-St. Paul seemed to be one of the forerunners in it. And so I started looking up some crime stats in Minneapolis-St. Paul since defunding of police. Get this. The homicide rate in Minneapolis jumped 70% since defunding of police efforts began one year ago. In one year, the homicide rates jumped 70%. That is insane. And what does, it do, what, does it, what does it show? What does it reveal? It reveals the soul and the heart of men and mankind. And listen, in, in Genesis chapter 6, before God destroyed the world with a flood, and we're going to talk about this as well, the Bible says that God looked down from heaven and He saw the wickedness of man was great and that violence was spreading across the land, and the thoughts of men were only evil continually, and one of the, one of the uh, revealing characteristics was that there was so much violence in the land, in the world. People who have some self-control don't see a homicide rate jump 70% in one year, because the the arm of the law, the authority has been removed. And now there's freedom to let the wickedness of their heart come to light. I thought this was funny, but very sad at the same time. <coughs> Along with those crime stats in Minneapolis, there was a little sidebar in it that it was called it was just called crime data. And, and basically what that was doing, it was rating U.S. cities as, uh, you know, um, most dangerous places to live. Which, by the way, Anchorage, Alaska was number one on the list. 
that's a little skewed because of how they work the, the numbers and so on. Nevertheless, very dangerous place to be per capita. But in that rating, they give cities a rating of, of, of 100 being the best, obviously one being the worst. Minneapolis had a rating of three. Three. 100 being the safest. <laughs> I started to chuckle just a little bit. I used to go there all the time. But now it's basically what the rating is. It's, it's safer than only 3% of U.S. cities. And they're the ones who are leading the charge in the defunding of police movements. We've seen shouting pundits. We've seen deafening lies. Obvious, obvious lies, but people just soak it up and believe it. Listen, America's foundation is cracked. It's crumbling. And as we look at all of these things, here's, here's, here's what really I'm getting at. We need to realize that these are not isolated movements. They're not isolated philosophies. They're not isolated events. They are as interconnected as a spider's web. And one, listen, one could even think COVID-19. Let's throw that into the mix. One could even think that just an arbitrary crisis uh, as it begins to unfold and so on. But listen, that did not happen in a vacuum either. And the world's response to it has revealed the soul of the world and mankind. You add to that emerging globalism agendas, and we are only one crisis away from a one-world government. A few days ago, I was uh, doing some research again on all of this, and I came across a conservative organization that had General Flynn, who was part of President Trump's administration, at least for a little while, Back in 2017, he's a very conservative guy. He was standing up to speak at this conservative rally and so on. And they're talking about their positions and where they need to go. And all of a sudden, he started saying, I was listening with my own ears, and I just went, whoa, what? He was saying, we need to have one religion. We need to have a one world religion. He was saying, look, America is a nation under God, and so if we are a nation under God, then we should have one religion. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're saying right now. Because the Bible tells us that during the time of the tribulation, there's a one-world government, there is a one-world currency, so there's only one, one kind of money, and there's a one-world religion. On top of that, what we, what we see unfolding now is, is something called Chrislam. Have you heard of this, Chrislam? It's supposed to be unfolded in 2022. Chrislam is a melding of Christianity and Islam. And they've even built this, this huge, huge, uh, almost like a fortress, but it's like a complex that half of it is Christianity, half of it is Islam, and the idea is that we can live together in harmony and unity under Chrislam. I'm telling you, the world is moving at, a, at an alarming rate. 
towards what the Bible describes will be the way things are during the tribulation. So we look at all of that, and what I'm saying is, these are not isolated movements and philosophies and events. They are all interconnected. And we read in 2 Timothy 3, these descriptions. And if you just take a minute, you can look and you can see the degradation of our culture. It really does seem like every member is a lover of self, a lover of money, a lover of pleasure, eager to cancel anyone that doesn't agree with them. That's what it really looks like. And that translates, friends, a despisers of those that are good. Hatred or animosity or hostility toward anything that is virtuous. It translates then into persecution for Christian people. That's already happening across the world. But there's certainly an eroding of religious liberty here at home that will ultimately probably lead to the very same thing. Culturally, we see division. We see political unrest. We see racial tensions. We see the rising tide of socialism flooding our land. Simultaneously, you look at what's happening out in the world. You look at events in the Middle East. Uh, the Middle East is turning into a powder keg again, even as we speak. You, again, you throw in a worldwide pandemic into that, and what do you have? You have a world that is plunging full on into chaos. You know I'm right. <laughs> Not that I'm right. You just see it happening. But we need to think about it in real terms. In real terms. Not as future possible events, but the reality that, of the day that we are actually living in. But then as we look at that, I'm not trying to get you to look at all of that and then be really discouraged. Because we look at all of that, and some might be discouraged, but as God's people, we should refuse to be discouraged. Listen, this is not a time to retreat. It's a time for us to start living by biblical conviction. You remember when Moses sent the 12 spies out to spy out the land, right? In Exodus, excuse me, in Numbers chapter 13, we find that as Moses sent out 12, 10 of them were completely overwhelmed with fear and with despair, and they were completely daunted by the giants that they saw in the land, right? Numbers 13, 31 says, But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They looked at the circumstances, and they were overwhelmed with fear and despair, daunted by what they saw. But Joshua and Caleb said, in Numbers 13 and verse 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. The people were in an uproar. The people were all discouraged. People were distraught. And the Bible says that Caleb stilled the people. Calm down. Calm down. 
And he said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Why? Because the Lord already won the victory. Years later, in recalling that event, Caleb told Joshua in Joshua 14 and verse 7, 40 years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And note this, I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. That thought and that phrase basically means, as it was in my heart, means this is what I was convicted about. He brought him word again according to his convictions. And what I'm saying, friends, is in our day, we cannot be silent. The day that we live in, we cannot be silent. We can't live lives by lies that are told. We must live by biblical conviction. We can't ignore what's happening right before us. And we can't sleep in beds of ignorance. Why? Because we are approaching the consummation of the age. Jesus said in in, in John chapter 9, In verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. That's for you and for me, friend. While there's an opportunity and while there's time, our focus needs to be on the work of the Lord because there's coming a point in time when it's going to end and there is no work. The days are drawing to a close. And and as God's people and as members of this church, we need to be right-minded, right-focused, and laboring in the right things. In this series of messages, we're going to be looking at several prophetic issues that are as current as uh, tomorrow's news. (laughs) That's how current they are. In each of the things we'll discuss or consider, we're going to look at, again, where we're at in our culture, where we're at in our day, what it actually means for us, and then how that should motivate us to live in light of it. Because we can't live with our heads in the sand. And we can't live as if if this is somebody else's job or somebody else's problem. The Lord Jesus told us of these things in advance. And we are here for such a time as this. And it ought to be our privilege to be his servants in this age. And listen, potentially on the crest of history. That's the reality that we need to live in. And we are not helpless. And people in this world are not hopeless because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even as the world collapses, the Lord is doing something, friends. So, as God's people, we can say something. We can do something. We can pray something. We can preach something. We can live by the conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ so that this world sees light and hope. That better be how we're focused. At any moment, 
Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven for his people. That's the doctrine that the word of God portrays to us concerning the rapture. It's imminent, any minute. That's what we're to be looking for. It doesn't seem like we have long to wait. But until then, we need to understand what the age requires. And we need to do as the Lord commands. Take your Bible and look at Ezekiel chapter 8, and I'll finish up here (coughs) with some thoughts from this passage. But in Ezekiel chapter 8, one of the strangest stories of the Bible here, The narrative tells us that the Lord grabbed the prophet Ezekiel by the hair of his head and he transported him in a vision from Babylon to Jerusalem and he dropped him into a scene of unimaginable evil. Look at verse 3, Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 3. And he put forth the form of an hand and took me by a lock of mine head and the spirit lifted me up between earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoked to jealousy. And the narrative goes on to show how Ezekiel saw the depravity and the decay of his own country, a country which he deeply loved And if you read through, you find that the nation was disintegrating. But God still gave him a work to do. And God commissioned him to be a watchman on the wall in the middle of his decaying country and culture. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 6 says, But if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet... And the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of men, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. God commissioned him to be a watchman for the house of Israel. And if the watchman doesn't do his job, he's accountable. Listen, God may not grab your hair, but may we let him grab our hearts. And may He show us again, afresh, the triumph and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to convert a life, to change a culture. We can fight some battles, but we better be fighting the right one. I'm going to read for you something that a preacher friend of mine wrote. I thought it was good. 
John 4.35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The best takeaway from everything surrounding the Rittenhouse case is in the above verse. Dear followers of Christ, don't miss this opportunity to bring people in from the various fields of sin. Some are in the field of hate. Some are in the fields of racism. Some are in the field of fear. Fear of losing their lives, losing their weapons, losing their freedoms, losing their cultural identity, losing their political system, losing their possessions, etc. If you are a follower of Christ, this is not a battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places, which again are not flesh and blood. May the Lord keep His servants focused to not fight with the carnal weapons that yield temporary victories, yet they also secure eternal defeat and damnation. Jesus gave His life a ransom for many in hopes of reconciliation. However, the heartbeat of much of today's Christianity seems to be self-preservation, which is not true Christian distinctive. Fight the media-driven battles if you must, but please don't call it Christianity or do so in the name of Jesus. The gospel is a message for every creature, not for our personal advancement, but for the glory of the true and living God, which is love itself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus became sin, suffering on the cross for every sinner, as He was willing that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. May the Lord revive the mission of the Christian to the heart of the Great Commission. May the Lord grant us all the faith that we need to reach as many people as possible and deliver us from all fear and selfishness. This, friend, is true. We can fight a lot of battles, but we better be fighting the right one. You can fight the media-driven ones, the temporal ones, that might gain some temporal victories in this life, but are not the answer that people really need. What we need is for God to grab our heart, to again refresh us with the triumph and the power of the gospel and call us as His watchmen to sound the alarm and proclaim the truth. God told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 22 and verse 30, He said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. May we commit the rest of our lives to living by biblical convictions, exalting the gospel of Jesus Christ and standing in the gap before the Lord on behalf of the land. That's where we need to be focused. Don't be fearful. Don't let the times overwhelm you. 
This world is not going to end in rubble, friend, but it's going to end in the return of Christ. And so may we be found faithful. May we have the right mindset that what we see happening right now, what does it actually mean? And what should it compel us and motivate us to do? Or how should we be living in light of what we see unfolding before our very eyes? It might just change some of the things that we really put our efforts and our focus into. Because we need to work while it's day. There's a time coming when no man can work. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word and convict us, compel us. And as we consider, just look, consider the things that are going on in our own country, let alone around the world, it really seems as things are starting to really come together at an alarming rate, how quickly things change. And our thinking needs to be right. Our perspective needs to be right and clear. That we are here for such a time as this, the age that we are in. God has ordained and He's put us here for a reason. And whether the Lord comes back tomorrow or in 10 years or in 50 years or in 100 years, Lord, I pray that we would be committing the rest of our lives to live by biblical conviction, to be a light in this world, to not fear the temporal things. We can fear losing our guns and losing our freedom, and we can fear losing our culture. We can fear losing our system. Those are all temporal things. Jesus said, even in the face of persecution, don't fear what men can do to you. Fear God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And even as God's people, we need, again, a healthy fear of God, respect and honor and awe that compels us to live according to your will, how we ought to. As we'll see in other messages, the Word of God teaches us, seeing that all these things shall come to pass, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Lord, grip our hearts. And by your grace, help us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.